Pastor Beck last week spoke about building strong friendships. And she spoke about the four C's. Does anyone remember the four C's? You guys all need to go listen to the message again. Yep. Absolutely. Claire is building strong friendships. There you go. She knew that was going to be a quiz. But we need constancy. We need carefulness. We need... Oh, where did that... Did I put that up there? Oh, you did. Candor and counsel to build strong friendships. And Pastor Beck was mainly using the book of Proverbs, uh, which is a wisdom book. It's called Wisdom Literature. And it uses uh, these little idioms and phrases to give us wisdom about how to live a godly life. Today, I want to finish off this series by talking about the barriers to building strong friendships. Why aren't we more constant? Why aren't we more careful? Why aren't we more candid? Why aren't we more counseling? Counsel? Why we, I don't know. What's the active word of... Why aren't we counseling more? <laughs> there we go. Why aren't we doing the things that build strong friendships? What stops us from doing so? And I'm going to do so today using the book of James. And one of the things that's interesting about the book of James is that James is written by Jesus's kind of like half-brother, and he has chosen to write this whole letter in the form of wisdom literature. So when you read James, one of the things that is a bit strange is that it feels like James is kind of skipping into different thoughts very quickly. He doesn't link it as neatly as Paul does. He seems to jump topics a little bit in his letter. Why? Because he was writing it in wisdom literature form. He wasn't quite using idioms, but he touched on a whole bunch of different things that are necessary for Christians to live, to live a faithful life to God. All right, that's what James is all about. It's about living faithful to who God is, who He's called us to be, and what He's done for us, is what does faith look like? And in uh, uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, uh, James uh, touches on relationship, and he jumps into uh, the necessity for relationships. So let's just read that. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so... Uh, James starts this segment with this interesting phrase, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? When I think about quarrels and fights, the picture that comes to mind is petty. What causes these petty things to come up? And I like, man, you know, the music was too loud. Or, you know, like, I don't like that person. Oh, there's a little, whatever it is. But when I looked into this, this is not what uh, James is, is writing about. He's not talking about pettiness in the church. He's actually talking about divisions in the church. He's talking about people being separate from other people. How do I notice? The word quarrels is actually also translated as battles and wars. We're not talking about petty fights here, people. 
we're talking about what causes you to separate and take sides. What's causing you to separate from other people? What is causing you to see someone else as opposed to you rather than united with you? The Bible talks again and again about the necessity for, un for unity within the church in particular. And what James is writing when he says, what is causing quarrels? What is causing battles and wars within you? Why is it that in the church that is meant to be united, people are not standing side by side? That's what he's actually saying. And then he goes on to say what is causing fights among you. The word fights, the root of the word fights is the word sword or dagger. What is causing you to hold people at arm's length to find ways to actually cause division? James was writing, why is there division in the church? Let me put forward to you that I'm not saying that um, our church is divided. I'm not in the sense of like there are factions and there are different silos and people are fighting amongst each other. I'm more focusing on the fact that sometimes in church there can be a separation that occurs between people so that we are not fighting for. We are not fighting for one another we are separate from one another. I've also noticed that in Australian culture, we don't often fight people directly, but Australians are amazing at passive aggressiveness. <laughs> we call it sarcasm. You are pushing people away. And our culture is also one of great individualism. We are one of the most individualistic countries in the whole world. What that means is that we have been taught in our schools and in our society that me depending on myself is far more important than building relationships. And we have grown into this society of individualism so much so that the newspaper reports last year that we are having an epidemic of loneliness in Australia. And it is not a mystery that that coincides with issues such as anxiety, issues such as depression, because we don't know who we are by ourselves, but our culture keeps telling you that you will be able to find yourself when you're true to yourself, but we were never created to be alone. Who am I is always an answer, it always answered in relation to the people around us. So what causes us to stand alone when we are meant to be in the body of Christ? What causes us to stand in isolation and away from people when God has called us to be united? And so James continues and he says, Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And I find that really interesting because when I think about isolation and all of that in the church or, or, or the fact that maybe we push people away, I would often blame the other person. Anyone with me? What causes you to be isolated? Well, they are not putting in an effort to get to know me. They don't get me. Maybe they are the ones that hurt me. They are the ones that did something against me, and so I've backed off. James doesn't allow that. 
He says, what causes any kind of division? He says, it's your internal world, your passions, your desires, the things that you want and the things that you think you need. In fact, if I can summarize all that James is writing, I think that James is saying that our individual perceived needs is what causes us to have these divisions within the body of Christ. It's my perceived needs. Like it or not, we are all driven by what we perceive we need. But our perception of our needs is not always true. Anyone have an issue with stress eating? Come on. More people. I know you guys. There are stress eaters in the house with me. My perceived need when I'm stressed is give me chocolate. Give me ice cream. Give me pastry. Give me something that makes me feel comfortable. And I will go drive to a cafe to meet that need because that need is driving me. But is that need really a need? Because when I look at my weight, and by the way, the doctor told me, my doctor told me that my cholesterol is a little bit high. I don't need that stuff. I don't need it. But in a moment, I need it. Anyone with me? So my perceived needs, what I think I need is actually driving me. I know so many people who are in disastrous relationships because they perceive that that person will meet some kind of need that they have. The person can be the most destructive, the most broken person that I've ever met, but they will say, oh, but this person is so loving, it's so kind, that person really gets me. And that person is really good at manipulating you. See, there are these perceived needs that we have that drive us and causes us to narrow our view, to focus on few things in our life rather than to see the truth of the situation and what we really need. And this became clear to me, and God put this analogy in, from my life into, uh, while I was preparing this. See, a number of years ago, I'm going to give um, this person a fake name, this person I'm going to call... Does anyone want to throw out a fake guy name? Barry. I heard Barry. <laughs> so Barry came to uh, my church a long time ago, even before uh, Lyft. And um, I pastored him, I discipled him, and I really sensed that there was something in his life. And so I started to meet up with him very regularly. Uh, every couple of weeks, we would meet up. We had meals together. We had coffees together. We played FIFA together. I got him into my life, and I was in his life. We would share about stuff, and I would try uh, to, to really help him reach what I thought um, God was doing in his life. And so that continued for many years. Um, and, and, and I really invested quite a lot into this relationship. However, there was a situation that popped up where it um, was made known to me that Barry was living um, in a very sinful way. He was doing some really, really bad stuff. And so I had to confront Barry because part of the relationship that we have is built on candor and counsel. I needed to do this. And so I met up with Barry and I said, Barry, I know that you're doing these things. What do you have to say for yourself? I look back um, and I think one of the things that 
I have learned since then, and I'm still trying to learn, is that I could have maybe been a bit more careful in the way that I approached the situation. But I also thought that because of the constancy of years of investment, that I could be quite blunt because, frankly, I was angry. I was disappointed. I was disappointed and angry that I had invested so much into this person and this struggle that he had, he never opened up with me. He did not want me to touch this thing with a six-foot pole. He, and the moment that I brought this up, he pushed me right away. He stonewalled me and would not talk to me. That was one of the most awkward conversations I ever had with someone where I was sitting down looking into his eyes and he stared at me and said nothing. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is, this is over. And um, so I was like, okay, well, there's nothing else I can do. However, if anyone knows Perth, Perth is a very small place. <laughs> you know that, right? And I, you, you can't throw a stone without finding someone that you know. And so we continued to see each other at different gatherings um, that, 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 that took place. And so there was one particular gathering that I was at and that Barry was at. And... Um, after this gathering, I got home, and um, I had a massive whinge to beg. And it was more than a whinge. It was actually an outburst. It wasn't directed at Beck. It was directed at Barry, but Barry wasn't there. Praise the Lord. And, um, <laughs> and, and I vented. I really I said, you have no idea what Barry is doing. He is actively trying to hurt me. You see, all his actions, he has made me his enemy, and he is trying to take me down. Now, Beck, in a great wisdom, said, how's this guy supposed to hurt you? I said, you don't understand! <laughs> you don't understand what it's like to be on the other side of this moron who is literally thinking that he is going to do anything to make me feel worthless and small and I can never see him again. And if I see him, I'm going to have my defenses up and my walls up because that's what he did to me in the first place. Honestly, I was like, I never want to see his stupid idiotic face ever again. Because every time I see him, he's trying to take me down. And so that, that was there. It took me months. In fact, I went to my psychologist and there were many sessions spent on dealing with the situation. It was interesting because the psychologist kept trying to get me to see another point of view. And I was like, don't take Barry's side. <laughs> Why are you taking Barry's side? You don't know Barry, I'm paying you, man. <laughs> you get two hundred bucks for an and you're taking Barry's side. She helped me to actually see so many other factors going on. And I saw that where all of that perception was coming from was because I was hurt. I was hurt because I felt small, after spending years of working with Barry, that all of that could be pushed away in one moment because I brought up a sin that he did not want to touch. Relationship was so fragile, 
so small, so breakable. And there was something in me that's like, why should I ever put myself in the shoes of someone who is allowing himself to get hurt? It didn't seem wise to me not to have my defenses up. It didn't seem wise to me to go into places and gatherings where Barry was going to be at because I didn't know if what he did or didn't do would pierce and touch that place where I felt rejected. He may or may not have been trying to reject me more but the point is, I already felt rejected. And his actions all came across as further rejection. And so my outburst and my fight and quarrel with Barry was not so much to do with his actions, but it was more indicative of the war that was inside of me. I want to be accepted. I want to do things that help people grow into all that God has them to be. But if it means I'm going to be rejected, I don't know if I want this. You see, after a little while more, God, in his infinite wisdom and in his annoying, irritating way, <laughs> he told me that I needed to start to love and to disciple someone much like I had with Barry. And at first I was like, all right, here we go. Which other idiot do you want me to look after? <laughs> totally. That's just me being a bad person, all right? <laughs> That's not an indication of anyone. But I started to invest, and I started to get worried about being hurt again. And through this episode... I started to process some things. And I started to see that my episode with Barry and a couple of other episodes that similar things have happened has led me to stop investing in deep relationships in the church. Not because people were exactly like Barry, but because people represent the opportunity of hurt and rejection and loss. So before you hurt me, I'm going to have my defenses up. Before you reject me, I'm not even going to build a relationship. And what we do, right, is that we take our defenses and our armor. Look at this wonderful shield. It was forged in the rejection of 92. Oh, it's a beautiful shield. It will stop me from being hurt again. So keep relating to my shield because that's protecting me. We polish our defenses and we call it ourselves. We polish our defenses and think that we are being wise. I have learned that there's a difference between defense and wisdom. It is wisdom not to allow someone who is a really psychotic not to have your heart. Amen. <laughs> but is it wisdom 
to come into a church family and not invest in any deep relationships because of the potential of hurt? Is it? What causes quarrels and fights? What causes divisions among you? What causes the lack of unity in the first place? Is it not the passions that are at war within you? And so when I started looking to this, I know that I needed to work on me and not wait for other people to be the right ones. We look for the right ones when it comes to our um, you know, dating, romantic relationships, but in friendships we do the same. We think that there's somehow someone who is our soulmate who is perfect for us. But I hope that you were here two weeks ago. One of my closest friends read a newspaper in front of my face while we were having lunch for the first time. My defenses said to me that this guy is an idiot who doesn't deserve my relationship. How wrong I was. And so when we look back at James and what he continues to write, in James chapter 4, verses 5 to 12, this is literally right after the first passage we were reading, he says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Now, James is saying that God is actually really jealous for you, for relationship with you. And I think why he's saying this when he first started about the quarrels and fights is because how we love people is how we love God. And how we love God is how we love people. They are linked and they are the same. When we don't know how to do deep relationships within the church, we don't know how to do deep relationship with God. You can be a monk on the highest mountain and spend a million hours with God alone and God will be saying to you, who are you loving? He won't be saying, you're doing well. He'll be saying, who are you loving? Because that's what the Bible says. If you love me, love my people. And so he, uh, James continues and he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What causes fights? It's pride. It's pride. Oh, but all those very spiritual people, you're going to love verse 7 because you quote it all the time. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've heard this mentioned in the many contexts. Fear, anxiety, demonic oppression, about, about, about relationships and unity? Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James is saying that one of the key ways the enemy attacks you is in the realm of relationship. More than your mental health, more than your sin and addiction. All of those function as a way to destroy relationships. And God is saying, you don't get to choose how you do relationships by yourself. You are meant to submit to me. <laughs> when it comes to relationships... Our Christian faith demands that we are submitted to God. That we resist the devil in how he builds walls between people and he will flee from you. 
He continues to say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another great verse that we use all the time where we talk about it in worship. This is about relationships. This is about how we conduct relationships. Do you know how I got over my fear of being rejected and I'm still working on it? I draw near to God. His love and His grace is what sustains me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against other people, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, and he kind of goes on into this whole idea of relationships again. So James talks about uh, the breakage of relationships and he talks about the breakage of relationships and in the middle he says, be humble and draw near to God. What have I learned about the barriers that stop us from building strong relationships with other people? Number one is that I have to be humble and allow God to define what I need. Remember, we started talking about how our perceived needs drives us. And my perceived need for security, my perceived need to stop myself from being rejected was driving me in all sorts of ways. And God found a way to help me slow down and to see your need for security is secondary to your need for connection. Honestly, it was a crazy light bulb moment. It was only a couple of years ago where I was literally having a hard time doing the things that I knew God had called me to do. And in that moment, I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I feel so like, uncomfortable in, this, uh, uh, in investing so much into this relationship. What should I be doing? And then God said, do you realize that I created you for connection? We hear that all the time, but in that moment, it was like a light went off into a really dark room that I had, stayed, I had shut the door off. My experiences caused me to close that door because I did not want to get hurt again, but God said, you desire connection. You need connection. You just don't want to know about it. And in that moment, I had to humble myself, and I said, I had to go, God, you're redefining my needs. It's not very comfortable. See, there are many of us that have bought into the thinking that our culture tells us that we define what we need by ourselves, and we call that dignity. The abortion debate that rages on, we call it choice and we call it dignity, when really it's just us trying to make sense of the world and find our place and find value that can never be found in anything that this world gives to us. Having someone define my needs is seen as intrusive, as gaslighting, as damaging, and it can be in certain ways, shapes, or forms, but I have a toddler, and he tells me what he needs all the time. Is it loving for me to let him define his needs? Because his needs are chocolate and lollies and biscuits and not broccoli <laughs> and not veggies. 
No, a loving father defines his needs so that when he grows up, he knows what a healthy individual looks like. And God is doing that with us. That need for security that you have, whatever security you're looking for, is secondary to what God is saying. Whatever fears, whatever anxieties you got has to be secondary to what God says you need. And in the context of James chapter 4, he is saying that you need people. You need people. You need people that are constant. You need people that are careful. You need people that are open and honest. You need people who will give you good counsel. And you will not get that if you're defensive. The second thing that I had to learn is forgiveness. What I find very often is that when I'm humbling myself before God, He then will point out someone that I need to forgive. (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) I'm already humbling myself before you. Why do I need to humble myself before that idiot? (laughs) It's like, because I, I get it. He's your son. Well, I'm your son too, God. I have needs too. That's not how it works. Jesus teaches us in Mark 11, verse 25, and he says, and whenever you stand praying, which is, by the way, supposed to be all the time, the Bible says, pray at all occasions, at all times. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Why is it that whenever we stand praying, we need to forgive? It's because when we stand in God's presence, He is highlighting the times that you are having fights and quarrels with other people that are stopping you from reaching into the deepest part of your heart and to connect with others. If you have anything against anyone so that... um, your Father, who is also in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. The word trespasses is not so much just generally about sin, but is particularly about broken relationships. And what Jesus is saying is that we don't know this, but we are breaking God's heart all the time. We keep trespassing against Him. Whenever we want our own ways, we are actually pushing against Him. And He's saying, I'm willing to overlook that when you start to overlook the ones that you have faced in your life. Church, this might seem like quite a harsh message. It might seem like a very difficult message, and it is. It has been a difficult journey for me. But my heart is that we find the kind of friendship within the church that God intends, where we stand with one another, not so much avoiding hurt and pain, because that will come, but more that we can actually use the hurts and the pains to grow us, to mature into more of what God has called us to be like. I want our church to be a place where there isn't a loneliness epidemic, where people can actually share their lives with others, not because it's a good thing, but because it's a God thing. This is what God says in His Word. If you don't have strong friendships within the church, you're not doing church right. So all those people that don't attend the local church, don't go to things, you're actually living against the Word of God. That's my honest, true belief. We can discuss it if you want. 
Let's, let's go, let's, let's discuss this, because I think that more than the whole thing of the institutionalized church and having issues with that, the issue is that you are scared of being hurt. You will never have strong friendships the way that God intends if all you're focused on is how am I going to get hurt. I need God to redefine my needs. You know, on Friday I mentioned that we did a barbecue for some youth in a crisis accommodation. We had planned this for months and it finally came around. And I had just had a week of meetings and people and I was peopled out. I was done. I wasn't looking forward to this at all. Honestly, I was like, can we just give them the food and just leave? <laughs> and that's where I was. We got there and there was one teen there. They said that there was possibly four or five. Now, we've worked with them before. I knew that there was every chance. I saw the one guy. He was playing on his, he was gaming on his laptop, and he didn't, he basically said hi, and then went back to his stuff, and I was like, I'm going to have to do a barbecue to have a meal with that guy. I'll cook for him, I guess, and then can we just go? I was feeling introverted, guys. Honestly, I didn't really feel up for it. My perceived need was that I want to go home, a nice meal, or watch a movie, and recharge my batteries, because I deserve that. So we started on this barbecue, and I was like, you know what, stuff your stupid attitude, Nate. You're here, you're committed to it, do a good job. It was on maiden sausages, and, and they actually brought another girl she was in a different part of the accommodation. She came out, had a youth worker, had that guy. And for the next hour and a half, I got to hear stories about these young people, where they are at and what they've been through. And the look on their faces when we made a meal for them. I was like, I want to go home and do a movie. I wanted to just be selfish. I went home with my heart full. I went home going, why am I so selfish? Why do we do things that are so protective when there are people that actually want us to build relationship with them, but many of them don't know how to ask? There are friends in this church, in this very room for you that could be lifelong friends, but you're waiting for them to make the first move and they're waiting for you to make the first move. It ain't going to happen until someone makes a move. And so often people make the move and they leave the flipping church because no one came up to me. Why? Because we're scared of being hurt. I've been there. Honestly, I think sometimes I became a pastor because people will have to come and talk to me. <laughs> it's a lot easier that way. Honestly, if you want a gig like this, talk to me, we can set something up. But hear my heart. We're going to have communion now. Can we get the band up as well? When I was preparing this, I felt like this was going to be a deep message, not because I'm eloquent. I think I've been extremely all over the shop. But because I think that there is a true need in us to understand the depths of relationship God wants to have with us and that God would want us to have with others. And as we have communion, we are having 
a reminder of what God would do to bring us back in relationship with Him after we have trespassed against Him, after we've broken relationship with Him, after we have rejected Him. He died on the cross so that we won't stay rejected. And so as you hold that bread, as you hold a cup, it's God's body that was broken for you, or His blood that was shed for you because He said, I know what you've done, but that doesn't matter because you mean more to me. I can forgive because Christ has forgiven me. I can allow grace to flow from my life because I am receiving grace on a daily basis from a God who gives even though I don't deserve that is the message of the cross. So Jesus, I pray that as we hold his bread, as we hold his cup, that we recognize and realize the grace that you've given to us. That our worth, our identity, our value, our belonging is with you and you alone. But in this moment, help us to recognize and to remember the hurts and the pains that we have experienced and we have suffered. And in this moment, I pray for the boldness to release and to let go. I pray for the grace to be boldly allowing you to redefine our needs, that we can have the kind of relationships that you desire us to have. Amen. Why didn't you take the bread and why didn't you take the cup? We're just about to finish our gathering. Sorry, we've gone on a little bit. But I genuinely feel that there's healing in this room tonight. I feel like there are people that are carrying these hurts and these pains inside of them. And you know that you're defensive. You know that you've been holding yourself away from others. And maybe this morning there's something in you that's going... I need to let that go. If that is you, I'm asking you to be bold and to step forward so that you can pray with someone and to allow healing to flow. It might be the smallest things when God might just be putting something in your head as like, really, I'm struggling with that. Honestly, sometimes we are so numb to what has gone on in our lives that we really need God to be the one to highlight things to us. So why don't we stand this morning? I'm going to pray, I'm going to close. But if God's highlighting something to you, can you please step forward and our team, we're going to stand and we're going to pray with you. We're going to ask for forgiveness. We're going to ask for healing. We're going to ask that God speaks into your heart and redefines those needs, takes down those uh, 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 defenses that need to be taken down. And I guarantee you, you're going to feel so much more free from that. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the healing that is available this morning. We thank you that you are the lover of our soul. We thank you that you are our healer and that you bind the brokenhearted together. And so God, I pray that this morning that you will allow your spirit to speak so clearly, but also gently, that you can bring healing and freedom this morning. I pray for those that are holding on to hurts and pains that have plagued them for, yeah, for, for, for a while, maybe months, maybe years maybe decades, and I pray to God that this morning that they can let it go, 
They can let it go so that the healing process can continue. I thank you, Jesus, that you're more constant than anything that we could ever hope for. I thank you that you are here and your grace is available. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.